for everything for, for everything indie for everything cults it's the blue horseshoe now. now here's your host george bremer and ryan hickey and welcome on into the latest edition of the blue horseshoe podcast ryan hickey and george bremer here with you as always Another loaded, busy show here for you on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We got a lot of head coaching updates to get into. We have Tom Brady's official retirement. I want to uh, throw some by there, George. We have two other head coaches now officially hired. Broncos and Texans do fill their, uh, their head coaching vacancies, leaving out just the Cardinals. So we have a lot of head coaching discussions to get into, George. But I figure let's start something very topical. Today, as we're recording, it's Thursday, February 2nd, which is what? Groundhog Day. Punk Satani Phil did see a shadow, which he is predicting now six more weeks of winter. I think also he's predicting six more weeks of the Colts head coaching search because they seem to be in no rush to get this done. Adding more candidates, George, adding more rounds. I don't know what's going to end faster, winter or this Colts head coaching search. That's a good question. It's tough to say. I mean, it's six more rounds of the coach head coaching search is, is what <laughs> the uh, the groundhog has predicted. It's I think it's a really interesting situation because I think, you know, we have this void of information. We've been talking about that uh, really since it started a month ago now. Um, you've got this void of information and that creates anxiety on its own. You know, even if this was going the way every search in, in NFL history has gone and it was done two weeks ago, the void of information would have created a great deal of anxiety in that, that two week stretch. Um, so I think that's part of this. And then I think, too, the fact that it's not been the normal procedure, that you you had 13 first-round interviews, and now you've got eight second-round interviews, and you've got potentially, uh, and at this point I think we could say likely, a third round of interviews coming with an unknown number of candidates. Um, that's going to make people nervous as well because it's not, anytime anything goes – unconventionally you know we get uncomfortable right i mean and then when you add on to that the behavior of this franchise since october it's just going to multiply that you know even in a normal situation there would be nerves like why is this taking so long but now when you've had weird things going on around the franchise it, it makes it even more so the only thing i would say to all of that and it's why i don't know how to feel about any of this at this point is the other thing i've been reiterating since the search started Chris Ballard told us this is exactly what's going to happen. And he sat down and he said the day after the season, I guess two days after the season ended, that if it went into mid-February, fine, that he was going to be thorough, that they were going to cast a wide net, that they were going to make sure that they didn't skip over any candidate in the process. And again, I think that goes back to uh, the Josh McDaniels thing, you know, hiring him and, and feeling early on in the process like he was the guy and then him backing out on the day he was supposed to get on the plane and, and flying in here, that's going to scar any general manager. Uh, I think he's trying to avoid that, uh, but he's also trying to make sure, again, when, when they did finally end up with Frank Reich in that search, he said, I don't know why he wasn't part of the first group of interviews. You know, when, when he brought him in here, he was the best that I had interviewed during that whole stretch. I think people kind of thought, well, he, he has to say that because he's a second choice. But I think what he's doing now is proof that, you know, that's that's the way Ballard fell, and he's trying to make sure that doesn't happen again. 
So on that note, and like you said, it's the last time we recorded this pod early on Tuesday. We gave you our head coaching prediction. So if you missed that, make sure you check out the Blue Horseshoe Pod and make sure you download, subscribe, whether it's wherever you get your podcasts or also on YouTube at Odyssey Sports as well. So we each gave our prediction of who's going to be the head coach. You said Raheem Morris. I said Brian Callahan. At that point, we were working with seven. I guess should we? at that point, we were under the pressure of finalists, quote unquote. Now you have Aaron Glenn added, so now it's eight. And now you have Ian Rappaport and um, Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network reporting that the Colts are probably going to go through a third round of interviews. So I think we can drop the finalist tag and just say now we're in you know round two of seemingly a never-ending process. So let me ask you this. I think there's three ways Colts fans can feel about the addition of Aaron Glenn and now the reveal that there will be a third or another round of interviews. Now you can think kind of what you were saying that Chris Ballard, one, was scarred from how the last head coaching search went, and now is trying to be extra thorough and make sure that this is not a rush process. Two, the the candidates so far have not really enthralled him. He's not really feeling great about any one, so now he's going to recall another one in Aaron Glenn that he interviewed the first time, just to see if there's you know if he's kind of the one uh, compared to the other seven guys he've interviewed for a second time. That's the second thing I think Colts fans could be feeling that maybe Chris Ballard's not in love with the candidates, or three. Maybe the candidates are in love with the Colts, where now the second interview, we've heard, you know, they've gone for 10, 12, 14 hours. So you're really starting to learn not only about, you know, the coaching candidates themselves, but the candidates are learning a lot about the Colts themselves. Jim Mercer has reportedly been in a lot of these meetings. Maybe they're starting at cold feet and, and not pulling out publicly like we saw with Dan Quinn do, but maybe just quietly say, hmm. You know, after talking further, maybe this is not the job for me and kind of slowly backing their way out. Maybe that's happening. So I think that's, I would say at least, and if there's a fourth, please, George, add in and tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm missing something. I think those are really the three ways you can look at the addition of Aaron Glenn and also look at now the third round of interviews being reported and kind of feel one of three ways. Would you add any, you know, any fourth, I guess, way to look at it? And which of the three ways do you kind of see yourself feeling when you hear this news that we got uh, on Thursday morning? Yeah, I think those three are all the most logical conclusions to come from in here you know and, and i think especially the last two that either they're not you know completely sold on on one of these guys uh or the guys that they are sold on are not sold on them um i i lay i lean probably towards the first two uh, at this point because i just think people are a little usually more public when they pull out because you don't have to flat out say it's because you're upset with the team you sell that as I'm so loyal to the team I'm on now that I can't imagine going anywhere else. I went through the process, but you know, now that it's time to actually make the move, I, I just can't do it. My heart is in whatever city you're in. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's an easy thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think that might start happening soon. Even if, even if coaches aren't, um, you know, getting a bad vibe from these interviews, which we haven't heard much, but I've actually heard the interviews have gone pretty well with several of these guys, um, including Wink Martindale, who I think was one that we didn't necessarily, uh, you know, put at the top of the list early on uh, that apparently he's been really impressive and they really, you know, had good, good talks with him. Um, but even with that, you, at some point, some of these coaches, they're in the same boat, the fans and the media are where you're wondering what's going on, how long it's going to take. And some of them are just going to make the decision that I, I can't stay in this indefinitely i've got to you know get lined up and know what i'm going to do um again you know we're going to start pushing into combine time here in the not too distant future and the combines at the end of this month so uh you would think certainly by then there would be a, a head coach in place uh but 
a lot of these other guys, these coordinators need to know they got to get things lined up with their own teams. And I think the other teams will start putting some pressure on, on the Colts as well and saying, Hey, if you're taking our offensive coordinator or our defensive coordinator or our special teams coordinator, let us know because we're going to have to replace that guy, you know? Um, so there's a lot of external forces at work here too. Um, but I think those three things that you said, I think they're the, they're the most likely explanations. And again, I mean, it's hard for me to know which way I'm leaning simply because I, Ballard said this would happen. So I guess I'm going with that one. I mean, he did tell us be ready. It could go all the way till the middle of February. I'm in no rush. Um, but at the same time, I think journalistic instincts or whatever you want to call it makes you feel like they're not blown away by somebody yet that they haven't been, you know, th there's not somebody who's a front runner to the point where they want to hire him or they would obviously do it. I would lean, I think, more towards the first. Like, out of the three possibilities, being thorough, Colts not being enthralled in the candidates, or the candidates not really loving the Colts and, and kind of, you know, not really wanting to be a, a, the next head coach. I would lean more towards the first option because, like you mentioned, Chris Ballard called it. He was very upfront and basically saying, we're going to be very deliberate. We're going to take our time and make sure we get the right candidate. I think he's acting, you know, like when teams hire, let's say, an offense coordinator or an, uh, an offensive mind head coach, and he's more of a player's coach and things go wrong. And what do you usually do? The opposite, right? So you, maybe you go defensive-minded guy or you go hard disciplinary to make sure everyone's in line. Like usually you kind of go the opposite of what you had if it fails because you think, oh, well, that didn't work, so let's try the other thing. I think that's what's going on with Chris Ballard right now where he admitted he went into the last coaching search with Joshua Daniels, basically the guy. And it's like, all right, even before we interview anyone, I think I'm going to be hiring Joshua Daniels. Figured that out pretty fast. The Colts went through it rapidly. And as we know, that was the guy they tabbed to hire and it didn't work out. I think now he's trying to do the opposite and maybe to, you know, overly being thorough and maybe nitpicking too much or, or taking too much time. But I would say of the three, I would think it's Chris Bell right now trying to make sure that, hey, this is probably the last, this is going to be the last head coach he's going to hire. Make sure it's not a Josh McDaniels 2.0 to where, you know, it's, flames out two or three years he's done. And then obviously Chris Ballard will be done. I think he's trying to really take his time and vet all these candidates to make sure that they truly hire the best one on the market. And like I said, it's, it's been slow, but it's not like Chris Ballard hasn't warned us about being slow. So I think right now, so far from the little we heard, that's part, right? This is still a guess because the Colts have been very tight lipped about what's going on. I would say just trying to be as thorough as possible to make sure every stone is unturned or turned over. I should say before they, you know, they truly make their their hire. So I think it's part of the reason why you have Aaron Glenn now coming back. I think it's part of the reason why they're going to whittle it down from eight to. I mean, what's a realistic number, George? Three, four? Like if you're going to have a final interview, I would I would think no more than four. But you know, I'm surprised that it's eight here. Although I shouldn't be. I mean, we were told that this list would be seven or eight uh, before it came out. So you know, the fact that it's eight shouldn't be surprising to me. Uh, but I would think three or four. You know, maybe even two. Um, depending on, you know, where, where they are in that flow of things. Um, I, I did just, as you were talking, there was one other possibility that I thought of. Um, I don't think it's very likely. I, I wouldn't put it any higher than the other three. I'd probably put it below all of them, but the only other potential th that I could think of is that there is a front runner, but that front runner is Shane Steichen, who is in the Super Bowl, and you're going to have to wait until after the game to hire him anyway. So why not? But and, and again, in this scenario, he's not got a wide lead. He's not lapped the field. So why not bring in, you know, as many guys as you can 
if you've got to wait that long anyway. That's the only other possibility uh, that, that I could come up with. That's an interesting point because you are right. Like if you are basically saying Shane Sykin is at least right now our guy to begin with and you can't hire him till Monday the 13th at the earliest, why not in that time during the Super Bowl where, I mean, unofficially, right, they can't announce it next week, I'm assuming. The NFL would, would yeah. make sure to kind of want them to basically keep it on the hush-hush and make all the focus on Radio Row and the Super Bowl, right? They can leak it next week. They can't They can't announce it. I mean, they can't come out and say, okay. you know, the Colts Twitter can't can't sit it out send it out um but you know they could they could tell chris mortensen they could tell ian rapaport they could tell you know some of the people you've seen normally uh get these things uh, and or the agent could you know if they've got a deal behind the scenes the coaching agent could come in and say hey it's my guy uh to one of these guys and then it'll come out but yeah you're not gonna see okay that pick. although at this point would we be totally stunned if like Next Wednesday in the middle of Super Bowl week, there's a tweet from the Colts, and it's like the, the head coach is Abby's hat pick, and you know, we're just gonna roll from there. I, I don't know. That's true. Nothing, this team has probably. been anything but predictable, that's for sure. Let me ask you this, George. So it, it, let's just if we operate in the world, let's just say if, if I'm right in terms of Chris, this is Chris Ballard more than the candidates not liking the Colts or him not liking the candidates, just trying to be as thorough as possible and really taking his time being deliberate. So the first interviews were about reportedly about four or five hours over video. Second interviews, almost all of them were in person. You know, we've seen again, half a day, 12 hours, 14 hours. So let's just say, you know, we're going to have a third in round of interviews. Let's say four guys. What is there left to talk about? Like at that point, is it what quarterback you're going to take? Like what's your plan in the draft for the roster for like, I, I'm just more asking. I don't know. Like what else is there to talk about? for Chris Ballard and these prospective, you know, let's say finalists, actually finalists when they do a third interview. Yeah. I think that's one of the hard things about this um, because I, I feel like with this and the draft, I think we talked about this before we're missing maybe the most important part of the process. We're not privy to any of the interviews. You know, we know who they talk to. We have no idea what was said and, and you know, why like, later on you can hear, like I've heard Morris interview went well. Callahan's interview went well. Martindale's interview went well. Basachi's interview went well. Okay, you know, are those your four finalists? I don't know. Um, is that even true? You know, That's but even true. when you hear that they went well, you don't know what the the topic of of the interview was. You know, what what did right. they get into specifically? Like you're talking about, and so I my gut feeling, knowing nothing, you know, having a blindfold on here and throwing darts. I feel like it would be more of a, okay, those things that you talked about right now, coordinators, scheme, quarterback, you went through them in the early part, but now you're choosing between which of those you like the best. And so you want to hear a deeper level of it. Like you got the early, the, the trailer to the movie, and now you want to see the whole film. You know what I mean? Um, that would be my guess, that that sort of a thing. Uh, because I think those two factors are going to be huge in this. What's their plan at quarterback and who can they bring with them? And, you know, the, the irony is the longer the search goes, the more it may impact that staff, that potential staff. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And even options like, look, we were both against him when we brought it up, but Derek Carr is a guy who's going to have to be either traded or cut by the Raiders. I think it's three days after the Super Bowl. I think it's the 15th of February, if I'm not mistaken. You're nodding in agreement, so I think that's correct. So it's like, let's just say 
if, for argument's sake, Shane Steichen and Brian Callen say, hey, look, Derek Carr is someone I think could work really well. I don't think we're that far away. Let's go get him. But to, to your point, like the longer you wait and the more extensive it is, you may miss out on Derek Carr. Like Derek Carr could be traded next week for all you know intents and purposes. Or could be cut and you know picked up relatively quickly. So you're right. Like I just I wonder at this point, like what like I guess it is probably quarterback. Like all right, what's your plan? Who are we gonna get if if we trade up? What you know? What is your plans if we don't trade up? You know, at four, which ones do you like? I, I'm guessing, as like I said, after four hours in the first one, fourteen hours in the second one, you got to think. Staff, scheme, philosophy, everything's talked about. Now it's truly nitty gritty, maybe free agents or trades. I don't know. At this point, it's like we're really getting really deep in the weeds here. Let me ask you this final question on the head coaching search, uh, in which details we we don't have very few of. Is there any sort of hints based on whoever the Colts hire? Would that kind of give a tip of maybe which quarterback they're favoring? It could. You know, I, I think – Somebody like Callahan has a history with cars, so you're going to make some links there right away. He was out there, you know, for a short time, but he was out there with the Raiders and Derek Carr. So you would think um, if they've got a good relationship, that'll come out really quickly. Um, but I also think just the style that more on the offensive guys, with the defensive guys, we're going to, have to wait again because you're going to, have to find out who their offense coordinator is. You know, if it's Morris or it's uh, Martindale or it's Basaccia, who's a special teams guy. You're not going to know a lot right away as far as, you know, what style that, that they kind of lean towards. I think once we hear who the offense coordinators are or if the head coach is an offensive head coach, then you can start making links. Like you can look at Calhan's offense and go, OK, that's that's a quick read kind of passing game. Um, so you look for somebody more like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Um, because they've got to process and, and and make that play quickly. You look at somebody like Steichen and you say maybe the whole field's open because they were able to really build an offense around what Jalen Hurts does best and adapt it to him. So you feel like Bryce Young would probably be the most intriguing guy there because he you really need that. But even a guy like C.J. Stroud, who you worry about the impact the coaches are going to have on him and his teammates, you know, bringing in somebody like Shane Steichen and, and his history – you feel better, I think, that he would put the right pieces around him uh, and and get the most out of him. But I, I don't know that they'll be, you know, surely the coach isn't going to come out and say who right. they prefer. Although that'll be fun at the combine because by then it, it might be the introductory press conference and they're certainly <laughs> going to get asked, you know, who, who they prefer. Uh, and watching them dance around it, there are hints at times in there. You know, if they say size is a big factor, okay, Bryce Young's not, That's you know, point. part of it. If they want, if, if they're talking about traits a lot, hey, maybe they're leaning more towards Levis or Richardson. So, you know, I think we will find out because that there's no question. Whenever the introductory press conference comes in, the two big things that are going to get asked are who's your offensive coordinator and who or what type of offense coordinator you're looking for and who is your quarterback. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think you're right. There are some hints, like I said, if they talk about size or arm strength or accuracy, I think you can kind of maybe then, you know, look at a quarterback or two in the draft that maybe they're leaning towards more than others out of the four. So I think we will be able to maybe pick up, discern a few minor hints, but also too, at the end of the day, no matter who's hired and who the offense coordinator is, I think right now in today's day and age in the NFL, the main job of an offensive coordinator slash head coach is to build the offense around what the quarterback does well and not the other way around. So with Shane Steichen having, you know, 
let's say, recent success with Jalen Hurts, and maybe he's more of, you know, he like kind of the dual threat quarterback. I don't think then he should, if you draft Bryson or, or CJ Stroud, expect them to play a similar role as, as, as Jalen Hurts. We've seen other core, uh, other head coaches like Matt Nagy most recently in Chicago kind of try to put a square peg in a round hole. That's fewer. It's happening less and less in the NFL, but I think that's where you really see successful coaches thrive is whoever, whoever they draft, if they identify, let's say Bryce Young as the guy. Well, even if the offense maybe is totally not geared towards having that style of quarterback, well, now you better make it, you know, build your offense to accentuate what Bryce Young does well, instead of trying to have him learn your style of offense. So I think in a sense, maybe yes, if we kind of learn and they kind of drop hints of, you know, physical traits and, or maybe size is not a factor, which kind of opens the door back up or, they said they're looking for more of a dual threat guy. You can look at Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. I think there will probably be some small hints dropped along the way, but either way, any of the four quarterbacks you do choose, if that's the route they go, which they should go, you got to be able to build the offense around what that quarterback accentuate their strengths instead of having that quarterback try to fit in your uh, in your respective system. All right, make sure you always as or I should say, make sure you should, as always, download the Blue Horseshoe Pod wherever you do get your podcasts. And check us out on, on YouTube, because we are now uploading every single show in full video under the Odyssey Sports YouTube channel. All right, we'll play a little game of this coach or that coach here in a second. Which one would you rather have? But let me ask you this, George, because it's the last time we did record the pod. It was assumed, just not official, but now it is official. The Texans have hired D'Amico Ryan to be their head coach. And when you look around in the AFC South, Georgia, the Colts the only right now team with a vacancy. You have Doug Peterson, who turned the Jaguars from a three-win team into a playoff team and a, and a team that won a game in the playoffs. You have Mike Vrabel, who is one of top five coaches in the NFL, depending on kind of, you know, your rankings. But he's right there in the mix as one of the best head coaches in the NFL. And now Tamika Ryan is one of the most respected coaches on this uh, in this latest search. Hey, will he be a head coach? That's obviously we'll see. But so far, all the signs indicate that he will be a really good head coach. I think it's fair to say, no matter who the Colts hire out of the eight finalists or eight coaches still alive, I, I keep saying finalists. I apologize here. We still got a long way to go. But of the eight coaches alive, I don't think it matters, George, who they hire. I think it's starting in 2023, week one, the Colts without, uh, will without a doubt have the worst head coach, uh, at least to start the season. Would you agree with that? Yeah, on paper. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, on paper, yes. Um, because the resumes of these guys are not going to match up. I mean, Ryan's had the number one defense in the NFL this year. You know, he was outside of Peyton and Harbaugh. He was the guy in this mm -hmm. round. You know, he he was the candidate. Um, and so you're going to feel really good about them. Doug Peterson's obviously gone to a Super Bowl uh, and has done, you know, amazing things here in his first year in Jacksonville. Uh, and then Mike Vrabel is Mike Vrabel. And I think that's who they are really leaning towards you know um I, i've said that before that that's the style that they want i think is a mike Vrabel type of guy i think that's why wink martindale remains in this focus right now you know i think that's why he's part of this group um because you know look nothing has made ursa angrier in recent years than than the dominance of the titans in that series uh and i don't think there's any coincidence that the craziness this year started after the second tennessee loss you know, then all of a sudden Matt Ryan's bench and you start firing coaches and you, and you do these things. Um, and I think he wants that style of coach, you know, doesn't mean it's going to be Martindale um, because I think Raheem Morris is that way in a different gets there in a different kind of fashion. Right. Um, but and obviously, I think the offensive coaches have to stay high on the list because that's, that's where the league's going. You know, if you go with defensive head coach. Uh, it better be D'Amico Ryan's. You better be hitting a home run. But 
I just look at, you know, the things that that really both Ballard and Ursay have said uh, in the last couple of years about, you know, coaching in general and about Mike Vrabel specifically. And Vrabel was a finalist, you know, here before he got the Tennessee awesome. job. So I feel like that's sort of the mold that, that they want to get. So, yeah, you know, and you're going to have a lesser version of him, whoever you get, you know, you think at least going in. So I don't think it's, I don't think there's any hyperbole in saying that they'd be fourth in the division um, on paper coming in next year. And you look to I me, mean, that's a good point that they're trying to chase Mike Verb, which is something I didn't really, you know, I guess put two and two together. Cause you look at the finalists or again, the eight candidate list four defensive coordinators or the defensive background, two are offense, one special teams and just Saturday. So it's like, they already have doubled up. Even though the league is trending in an offensive head coach direction, they have double as many defensive-minded head coach candidates as they do offensive-minded head coach candidates. Honestly, George, I think it's a dangerous game to play. I'm not trying to undermine what Mike Vrabel has done. He has dominated the Colts, and he is, again, just one of the five best coaches, I think, in the NFL. With that said, when you look at the, how the Titans are built, I know this is not really on him, but it's like the philosophy of defense, smash-mouth football, you need a lot of things to go right. We kind of saw it in 2021 with the Colts, with Carson Wentz, even though Frank Reich was that coach, that was a lot of run the ball, run first, play good defense, and not have your quarterback kind of really, you know, risk it. And the Titans, yes, made one AFC title game in 2019, have not been back since. They've been a perennial playoff team, but it's not like they're a real threat in the AFC. Even last year when we got the number one seed, no one really took them seriously. We saw it in the first game they played there, bounced by the Bengals. So it's like, I get, yes, that's been the thorn in your side the Titans have. I hate the Titans. I hate Mike Vrabel because, like I said, they have just owned right now the Colts and they can't seem to find a way to beat them recently. But with that said, Mike Vrabel is one of one. Like I mentioned, you're getting a watered-down version of whoever you do higher. So now it's already a dangerous game to play, number one. Number two, the Titans style has won the AFC South, but it's not really got them into that upper echelon of the AFC where you see the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Bengals ascend to and right now are in a class of their own. In large part, because they have the quarterback and they have an offensive-driven system. First, I know Sean McDermott's a defensive-minded guy, so he's got the outlier, but two out of the three are offensive-minded coaches. That does scare me a little bit, I will say, Georgia. If if that's kind of the mold the Colts are looking for, I think it may be misguided in in 2023 right now with the way the NFL is trending. It's definitely dangerous. There's no question about it. I think that mold, though, is less in play style than it is in in sort of personality and you know how they, like they, they approach things, leadership and and being that tough guy, um, tough love kind of a coach. You know, I mean, you do, you get the feeling that uh, there's there's not accountability issues in Tennessee. You know what I mean? I don't That's think there's a lot sure. of talk about that. Um, but I think I think in terms of play style, uh, again. We're 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 working from a void here, and it's really just things that we know about Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay. I think in terms of play style, I think they lean towards more towards a Philadelphia or a San Francisco, where it's a balanced approach. You've got an offense uh, that can really get it done, but your defense is, you know, especially that pass rush. I know that's what they really want to get going. Both those teams, you know, really heavy in that area. Uh, we can win in multiple ways. I think. Ballard has said that about 15 times in the last few years. Um, I know he said it during the the most recent postseason press conference again. They want to be able to win in different ways. And the way you do that is you build a team like San Francisco or Philadelphia where you're good on all, uh, you know, on all sides of the ball. Uh, and so I think that's why it doesn't – the head coach matters, but I think that's why they don't care what side of the ball he comes from because they're not – I know they're trying to become Kansas City – and be the most explosive offense in the league, 
Uh, and I know they're trying to focus on one particular area. They want a CEO type, a leader of men um, who can come in here and, and mold that that total package on, on the and You know, the defense isn't far away. I think that's part of this, too. I think they're probably more attractive yeah. to defensive coaches because the defense isn't far away. You look at what they did this year and they had their moments. Believe me, they had their moments uh, and they'll be the first to admit that. But you look at how Zaire Franklin came on, Grover Stewart and, and, and DeForest Buckner, the dominance that they had. The way Quiddy Pay played when he was healthy. If you get Stephon Gilmore back for another year, and then you add a healthy Shaquille Leonard to that mix, um, the defense, you know, has has real, real prospects. So I think they feel like if they can get the offense to the point where it can just be in the middle of the league, then you can contend for the division and you can maybe start talking about the playoffs again. It was, I'm trying to rack my brain here. Was it as late as that Monday night game against the Steelers? We're talking about this is fine. The defense can can be on a big stage where they'll actually get the credit mm-hmm. they deserve. And then from there, I think that last month, they just unraveled. And again, at that point, I can't blame them with Jeff Saturday, with the, how bad the offense is, three different quarterbacks down the last month of the season. So I get it. I get it for sure. But it was, it was funny. Like I said, for two-thirds of the year, three-quarters of the year, this defense is really damn good. And it's unfortunate that it was being overshadowed by Matt Ryan's inability to hold on to the football, the offensive line's inability to block, and the circus that surrounded the head coaching position for the Colts the second half of the year for sure. So you're not wrong about that. Like, that's part of the reason why I think more defensive coordinators are interested. Like you said, there's a lot of building blocks and a lot of pieces already in place where you could come in and kind of turn that defense, not even turn it around, but just come in and have immediate success on at least one side of the ball as you work through an offense that should have a rookie quarterback playing. All right, so let's play a little game, George, here. This coach or that coach, last week or last episode, I should say, we gave our, our predictions of who's going to be the Colts head coach. If you missed it, again, make sure you download uh, and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Pod uh, wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube as well. So I'm just going to throw a few news by. If you have any match, you know, combinations yourself, we'll have a little fun here. But I'll give you two names, this guy or that guy, which one would you rather have? We mentioned before they have two offensive uh, coaches right now that are of the eight remaining. Shane Steichen of the Eagles, Brian Callahan of the Bengals. So if Chris Ballard said, all right, we're taking an offense guy. It's down to these two. Who would you rather have, Callahan or Sykin? I would go with Callahan for experience. You know, and he's been a coordinator longer. Uh, and I also, and we talked about this a couple times, I, I really like the offensive line background that he has. I think that's really important for this franchise. I'm with you. Same. Offensive line background, someone who's worked with, you know, Joe Burrow, Peyton Manning. I know it's kind of in different contexts, but still, that's a guy that I like his experience. I like his background. He's had in multiple different areas of the offense. I would take Brian Callahan, Bengals OC, over the Eagles OC and Shane Steichen. How about defense? A hero, Evero, uh, Broncos defense coordinator, or Wink Martindale? Which one would you rather have if those are the two finalists? I'm really, like, honestly intrigued with Evero just because um, he's very young, uh, and especially as a coordinator, he's, he's only done that for a year. But I think you could – there's some D'Amico Ryans in him, I think. You know, he's got to prove it, um, and, and he's much – lower earlier in his career, but Vrabel was in the same spot when Tennessee hired him. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that much different, honestly. Um, Vrabel had a much longer playing career and had played under Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, which I think shows in the way that he coaches. Um, but there, you know, it, it, it was very young in, in that career and uh, people just, there was just a feeling like this is a rising star. And, and I think Evero has that about him. You know, there's there's this feeling that, hey, he's probably not going to be a head coach during this cycle, although the Colts or Cardinals could still hire him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's 
whoever lands him as a defense coordinator is going to be really, really excited. And so between those two, I would like the the ceiling on Evero. Let's put it that way. I'm with you there too. What I like about Evero a lot is the fact that he's basically was in a similar situation as the with the Broncos as the Colts were, where you had a defense that was playing high level and the offense was just not anemic. They were, you know, the laughing stock of the NFL. It wasn't just that they were bad. They were getting made fun of each and every week. And you kind of saw at the end of the season, the Colts defense just collapsed, right? You can only hold up for so long when the offense uh, is so feeble and that the Colts last month collapsed. The Broncos defense, their credit under everyone, he's got a lot of credit for this, have really never collapsed. Like they still played strong. They played really, you know, good football on the defensive end. They never really, for the most part, snapped and, you know, lashed out at Russell Wilson outside of, you know, one or two small instances. So he was able to still get his guys motivated playing hard, even though, again, you're looking at, you know, the, the worst offense, at least in the 15 games that Daniel Hackett was there, uh, the worst offense in the NFL. So the Colts weren't far off. So at least you have some familiarity for how dysfunctional last season was. You at least have a, a coaching prospect who basically was in a similar situation. So it's not like it's it's all foreign or it doesn't know how to react or be able to handle a team that was – I would say fractured, but at least it did go through a lot of division last year between the offense and the defense. All right, how about Rich Passaccio did a really good job with the interim uh, as the Raiders uh, interim coach get into the playoffs last year or recently added Aaron Glenn. Would you go Aaron Glenn or Rich Passaccio? I go with Passaccio because of that run with the Raiders. I mean, if you're looking for a leader of men, he seems to have that. You know, we, we would have no idea what he wants to do on offense or defense. Uh, but I think you would feel like he's going to be a guy that's going to come in there uh, and he's going to hold people accountable and he's going to not be overwhelmed by sort of the adversity here. I think that's a big thing. We want to talk about everything the Colts went through this year and it was plenty, but the Raiders last year, oh. the John Gruden incident and the Henry Ruggs situation, uh, and there were more. Those two alone are enough. I just think you're looking at a guy who is probably not going to be phased much by whatever comes his way. And with this franchise, that's important. I mean, what we've seen over the last five years is Murphy's law here in Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's a guy who's prepared for that. Who's been through it and, and shown that he can thrive in it. I would go Aaron Glenn. I like his energy, but also too, I like the fact that you look at how that Lions defense developed, like a lot of young players on the defensive side of the football in the first First half of the year, they were awful. They were the worst defense in the NFL. Again, when you have a lot of youth, it makes sense. But he was able to turn that unit around and, and have that, you know, that Lions defense really kind of come into their own late in the season where we saw them week 18 with the Packers' chance to go to the playoffs just really, you know, put Aaron Rodgers in a blender and really have him struggle for most of that game. So I like the fact that he took a young roster and was able to show player development and was able to have them grow relatively quickly to where, again, we're talking about the worst defense in the NFL at the beginning of the year, end of the year. Closer to the middle of the pack, but there's a lot of improvement there. So with a Colts team that is young relatively on both sides of the ball, I kind of like how his player development skills, at least for a year in Detroit, seemingly were uh, were very high. Let's go two more here. A guy we talked about just a little bit before, Shane Steichen, kind of a, a fast riser on the offensive side of the ball. Evero, fast riser on the defensive side of the ball. Those two are the finalists, George. Who are you going with? Oh, man, that one's a good one. That one's really tough to choose between. I'm going to go with Steichen because – uh, just in general, I'm going to lean more towards the offensive guy over the defensive guy if it's close. You know, if, if it's a tight race, uh, because of what we were talking about before, if they both hit, if they're both the guy that you think they are, I feel better about Steichen replacing a defensive coordinator two, three years down the line than Evero having to, you know, get a new offense coordinator in here um, every couple of years, especially if you nail that quarterback pick. So 
Uh, I would go with Steichen in that situation, uh, but I think that's that's you can't lose with that combo. I uh, I'm with you. I I just the benefit of that or the, the tie goes to the offensive mind. Like I said, it's just it's that's where the league is. It's just your life is so much easier when your head coach is also either an offensive coordinator or has an offensive background. Just less turmoil and, and more continuity for the young quarterback you will have on your team. So I'm with you there. Ty always goes to the offensive mind uh, in that one. Last one here, George. I was thinking really hard, and maybe this is not the best comparison or, or the best you know guy to put them against. So if you have a better one, please feel free. Let me know. But I wanted to put Jeff Saturday in there. I want to kind of throw in, okay, who is there any option? Because I think any of the seven, fair to say, if we said him or Jeff Saturday, you're picking the other option? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. So I was trying to think, is there anyone else we could throw in there and talk about that maybe you'd have pause and say, you know, maybe I would take Jeff Saturday. So this is what I came up with. And again, feel free if you have a better name to throw it out. Would you rather have Jeff Saturday as the next head coach or Jim Irsay, owner coach? Ooh. Ursa was, was, was not a very good GM when, no, when he did no, that, he was not. you know, that, that, that was not his strong suit. So I'm going to assume that his head coaching expertise is going to be in the same, same level. Uh, so I'll go with, with Jeff Saturday here. Although I will say Ursa's press conferences would be outstanding. So from a media standpoint, I would really, that would be a lot of fun. Our producer, Aaron, says Jim Mercer without a doubt. Now, he's also a Jets fan, so maybe he's trying to have yeah. the Colts just go as far deep into the ground as possible and have the Jets rise up and not be, you know, at least for uh, the last few years, a laughing stock in the NFL. I think I'll go Jeff Saturday. Honestly, I think I'll go. That's maybe the only – like, I'm trying to – I was trying to kind of bring George seriously. Like, who else could I throw out there that we're really seriously could say, eh, i probably have Jeff Saturday over this guy. And, like, there's I, – I don't really know to me. Like, I don't – I'm looking like, all right, maybe here's here's a better one. Jeff Saturday or Josh McDaniels? <laughs> Jeff won the head-to-head battle, so we got to go with Jeff on that one. <laughs> that, I, was, I honestly forgot about that. I was just thinking of all the snake that he was for what happened he, he, years ago. Head-to-head has to count. We have to respect head-to-head results here. That's true. That's the only coach he outcoaches this year. There it is. We have found the guy. We have found the actual candidate where Jeff Saturday would have an advantage over. So I don't know if Jeff Saturday would – he can't, thankfully he can't convince Chris Bow to ever put, you know, Joshua Daniels back on his radar or even consider it. So that's maybe the only chance Jeff Saturday has of being the next head coach if it's him or Josh McDaniels. So uh that's there you go, Jeff. You got one. You got one candidate you could have a, a little bit of a an upper uh upper hand on. All right. As always, make sure you are downloading, subscribing to the Blue Horseshoe Pod. If you have a suggestion of any head coach candidate you would you would have Jeff Saturday, uh you would prefer Saturday over, please let us know. Uh, wherever you do get your pods. Let us know on YouTube in the comment section as well. I'm very curious because I was trying hard, George, trying hard to think of the names. Not many did pop up for sure. But again, make sure you are downloading, subscribing, wherever you do get your pods. And make sure you check us out on YouTube, Odyssey Sports. All right, let me throw one thing by you here, George. Tom Brady retired on Wednesday. I think this is real. I know last year was, what, 39 days, I think it was, before he retired and unretired. I'm going to say he's actually done. So, not that the Colts had any interest in him this year. And really, outside of the Titans, I don't think any direct rival with the Colts had any interest in bringing him. So, I don't think his retirement and walk away from football impacts the Colts too much next year. But I want to throw this back. So, I was kind of thinking about this earlier today. Obviously, the biggest rival for the Colts for, you know, being 20 years old, the majority of my life, was the Patriots. Bill Belichick uh, and, and Tom Brady. Hate them. Who do you think Colts fans should date more? Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? 
I'm gonna go with Brady because they're one and one against Belichick since since Brady left. So, and Brady came back in and beat them with Tampa Bay. So, um, you know, I I just think he and he did it the same way he always did. I think that was the maybe the most perfect thing is his last game at Lucas Oil Stadium. The Colts lead most of the way, and he gets the ball late and goes down there and carves their heart out in the fourth quarter last year, uh, which is what he's done the entire time he was there. So. You know, I, I just look at it. He was such a killer on the field, you know, and he, that if you gave him the ball, my my gauge for all these quarterbacks, you know, as we're looking at, at the draft is always if if I'm playing against them and I've got a four point lead and they get the ball at their own 25 yard line with 90 seconds left, who am I most afraid of? That's that's the guy I would want to draft. You know, who am I most worried is going to score? And I think Brady is, if you're looking at that on an NFL level, he's right there on the all-time list of, of guys that you feared in that very situation. And it just felt like, I don't know how many times he played the Colts, but probably 60% of them, that was a scenario, and he that's how he won the game. The, I honestly, what helped me kind of come to this conclusion was actually yesterday on Twitter when you see a lot of videos of Tom Brady or time, but what I enjoyed the most was a lot of videos back from the 07 AFC title game in which you had that insane epic win as the Colts do beat Tom Brady uh, and go to the Super Bowl. And I saw a lot of the, you know, Marlon Jackson interception, which is great. But I will say what helped me solidify the answer of Bill Belichick hating him more than Tom Brady is the fact that when Marlon Jackson picked it off, it wasn't more like screw you, Tom Brady. It was honestly more screw you, Bill Belichick. I kind of see his just standing there on the sideline as he always is emotionless. Like, just and maybe just because it was, it was a few uh, playoff games in the snow before that, the Fox Sports just kind of seen. I just I hate Bill Belichick, and I will say I don't know if this is controversial or not, George. Ever since Tom Brady left New England, like even just for me as someone who, who hated him and the Patriots, he's gotten a lot more likable when he's gone to Tampa Bay. I wasn't rooting against him when he won a Super Bowl in Tampa. Like I, I've enjoyed watching Tom Brady play now that he's no longer with the Patriots. Whereas if Bill Belichick left the Patriots and was coaching you know, wherever outside of the Colts, I think I would still root against him. I would hate him. I, I think it was funny because uh, Gronkowski was on one of those 93 commercials that he's on uh, the other day. And I looked at my wife and I said, you know, isn't it remarkable how much more uh, likable Gronkowski and Brady got when they left New England? Like all of a sudden, both of them are, you know, everywhere. Uh, and it's they're like different people. Well, not so much Gronk. I mean, he was probably the one guy who was able to have a personality and didn't really That's care true. what Belichick did. Um, but certainly with Brady, I mean, he's on Twitter and he's you know doing that golf thing with Aaron Rodgers and right. like he's talking fun. trash and like it was totally he's different a guy. Funny guy when you hear him talk. Like a hundred percent different guy after he he left New England. I always with Belichick the the game that always comes to mind for me is the fourth and inches game. Yes. I mean, anytime I think about him and the Colts, I mean, that's the one when you're talking about like the whole sideline just kind of over there, you know, like, yeah, we got you like that. That game really um, felt like, you know, they outsmarted Belichick that, you know, although you know, Kevin Falk holds on to the ball, if he doesn't bobble, it, it probably actually works. But, you know, it's I don't know. It's it's a really good conversation to have because I think there's there's arguments on both sides of that. Um, but I do think I, I can't really think of a moment when Bill Belichick was likable. His dog was likable during the 2020 draft. Does that count? <laughs> that that I guess that that could be something. And that's a, if that's where we're going. Which I think it's Nike's name. I think it, whatever it yeah, is. Nike. Right. If we're talking about the dog being the most likable part of Bill Belichick, I think that that answers your question. And anyway, even like I think it's a good point too. The fourth inches game was at 09, I believe, on Sunday night. 08, yeah. 09. 
It's like that's where, again, it was more like even though Brady was a quarterback who threw the passes, we're like, screw you, Bill. Like, we got you now, Bill, compared to like, oh, we beat Tom Brady. Still, obviously, you hate Tom Brady. Love beating Tom Brady. But I think for me, at least, it was just I felt a little extra joy when it came to beating Bill and just seeing his stoic face, like just like on the sideline after a loss. It just brought me so much more joy than just kind of seeing Tom Brady walk off angry and upset. So that's where at least where my brain went after he retired yesterday's, you know, Brenda Colts catch. Obviously, they both dominated the entire NFL. And not as bad. I will say, I guess the only good news is with, with Brady, you saw they, I think it was CBS, NFL and CBS posted a graphic on Twitter of his record versus like every team. There's no, I'll tell you this, we as Buffalo Bills fans, that answer is quickly, quickly Tom Brady. 33 and 3. 33 and 3. Tom Brady against the Bills. So he I think dumped on Buffalo too when they were here for the Super Bowl. That's one of the things I remember. Like he threw shade at the city of Buffalo uh, when they were here for the Super Bowl, which I remember the Bills fans not. I don't. If there's a fan base that you really don't want to anger, at Buffalo and Philly, right? I mean, like to just go on a tangent here. Like to me, those are the two I don't. I don't want them marking me and coming after me. Philly will fight you, and uh-huh. the Bills fans will throw sex toys at you. So. I don't know I'll what's put you worse. A table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Eagles fans will climb light poles and tear down your city. That is for sure. So I'm with you. Those are two fan bases I'm not poking the bear on. Let him go. Ooh. Let him be. Let them do their own thing in their own city. But yeah, I don't want them uh, coming after <laughs> coming after me. That is for sure. But goodbye, Tom Brady. Good riddance. Not going to miss you. But like I said, especially when Bill Belichick retires, I think that'll be a, a satisfying day to really see. See you later, Bill. Also, speaking of tangents, really, I want to throw something else by you because I've seen it a lot recently, and it cracks me up. Now with the transfer portal on college football, right now, obviously, we're seeing players move about, and even, they, you know, forget about just not playing. We've seen him start at a few places and go somewhere else. And when you see Joe Burrow, you know, riding the bench at Ohio State for three years, now have his galope at LSU and now killing the Bengals, we've seen Ohio State fans try to claim Joe Burrow as one of their own. And one debate I've seen that's very funny is how Alabama and Oklahoma fans both are trying to claim Jalen Hurts. That's probably an easier one just because obviously Jalen Hurts played and played at a high level at both. But it's like if you're – another thing about Tom Brady here, I, I bring that to say this. For all the flat – or all like when it comes to Brady Manning and you know, all the talk about how Brady dominated Peyton Manning, you know, Peyton Manning couldn't win, couldn't beat uh, Tom Brady in the Patriots dynasty there. And you look at the playoffs, Peyton Manning in his five playoff games against Tom Brady was three and two. Now the tough part is and why I kind of bring up the transfer portal is He's 2-0 as a Bronco. He's 1-2 as a Colt. So it's like overall that whole Brady, Brady Manning argument has gone on for two decades, and it's always perceived to be, oh, Brady dominated Peyton. That's anytime it's a big game, you can always trust Tom Brady. Realistically, in the playoffs, Peyton Manning had a better record, uh, had a winning record over Tom Brady. How do how should Colts fans – I'll be honest, I'm kind of conflicted. Because one sense, I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's my guy. Peyton 3-2 against Tom Brady. Suck on that. But also at the time, same time, it's like, well – Two of those wins came at, came with Denver, so it's like I don't think Colts fans can honestly claim that. It's a little frustrating. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, three and one in the AFC Championship game against Brady. I think that really is is you know telling too. One and one here in Indy and two and zero oh in Denver. Um, yeah, that's Manning's really one of the more interesting Hall of Famers in that regard too, because most of them, if they played for multiple teams, there's one like does anybody really think of Brett Favre as anything but a Packer? You know, I mean, maybe maybe yeah. Aaron finally remembers him as a Jet. I doubt that, but maybe he does. <laughs> um, you know, the Vikings fans, they probably still dislike Favre more than they like him. He was a Packer longer, you know. Um, really, I think 
I, I, Manning, I can't think of anybody kind of in the same boat as Manning where you've got, obviously he was in Indy the vast majority of his career, but his success in Denver was so phenomenal. You know, they, they were going to Super Bowl every other year. It was Brady, like, during that time he was there. Um, it's really hard. I, I, I think that's one where you have legitimately two fan bases claiming, you know, the legend and, and it actually works. You know I mean? You, you see sort of like you're talking about with Hertz with Oklahoma and Alabama, there's actually arguments on both sides of that for why he belongs in both camps. Um, I guess Joe Burrow's an Ohio native. So maybe, but that's not as big. I don't think that counts. You know, he, he didn't play for Ohio state. So it's, you can't really give that same, you know, right. Energy. You didn't win any games um, there. Like you can't. He yeah, left. You can't, have the same can't do it. Jordan but, fans I mean, can't claim Justin Fields. The weird thing about the transfer portal too, and Matt Painter brought this up and go on another tangent. Like, where's their support coming from afterward? Like, if you graduate from Michigan, like Tom Brady, you're a Michigan man. He his right. career there wasn't, you know, spectacular. It wasn't anywhere near what what he ended up being in the NFL. But he's a Michigan guy, and he had all the support of the Michigan faculty and, you know, their placement people and, and things like that. Um, these guys that go to four or five schools, you know, I don't know. It's interesting to see how that plays out as the years go on. Uh, if guys want to go back and finish degrees or if they want to get, you know, if their athletic side of things doesn't work out, you know, where they want to go. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I thought it was weird with Burrow. I know a lot of people over in Columbus. He's in the middle of that LSU run. He's on Ohio State's campus at like Christmas break because he's got so many people there that are his people. And it's just, I think that's what's weird about college football right now. But I wonder, you know, to bring it back to the NFL, is it going to make things easier for free agency down the line? Do you have guys who maybe are a little bit more prepared to step into a new situation and win right away. They have, yeah, I don't know. Do you think it will factor in, in any sense like that? I do. Cause I think we're starting to see it now with like Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens where like anytime you draft and you have the franchise guy without a doubt, you never see him. Like it's rare. Like it was unprecedented to see Peyton, to see Brady, to see Bre uh, Brett Favre kind of leave their iconic teams and go play somewhere else. I know Joe Montana at the end, like, you know, was with the chiefs, but that was a little different. Like there are some ex uh, extenuating circumstances, but for the most part, Anytime you think of like all-time great quarterbacks, almost all of them have played for exclusively one team. And again, if it's a year or two, you don't really count that because you know they ended their career and maybe just trying to get a paycheck or just still play. They don't have it. But with with Brady won a Super Bowl, with Peyton won one of the Broncos, been to two. I think we're gonna start to see, like I said, more and more quarterbacks, like franchise guys now play, you know, legitimate and have like almost two different careers for two different teams. Where I mean, I think at least Lamar's getting traded this offseason. So and I don't think that's gonna like all of a sudden be a a rarity now going forward with with, the, with how high contracts are. I think it's tougher for teams now to make a call early on, or even we're seeing an instance where you have guys like Carson Wentz, you guys have Matthew Stafford, who's, you know, have signed big contracts and the team goes either we're trying to rebuild, see you later, or the guy busts out like Carson Wentz didn't say, see you later. So it's like, you think, Oh, franchise icon, he's going to be there the next 10 years without a doubt. We're, I think we're starting to see less and less. I still think, you know, hopefully for the Colts, fingers crossed, they get their guy in the draft. We'll see him in a Colts uniform for 10, 15 years. But it is starting to become, like I said, less and less. 
And it's, I think we're starting to see now it's, it's easy. Like I said, I think a little bit of the transfer portal in college because now it's a little more normalized. So if you're in college and it's like, Oh, I played most of my career here, but now for a year or two, I got to really time to take it to the next level and go somewhere else and have success and be beloved by two fan bases. I do think it makes it easier once you get to the NFL to kind of not lose loyalty per se, but realize I, I'm basically not chained to this organization my entire life. If I want to go play somewhere else or if I want to get a better deal somewhere else, I can't, I don't have to settle for, you know, whatever contract or whatever role I'm being asked to do. If I don't like it compared to, like you know, earlier times when it's basically you draft a guy, you get him, he's there, no doubt about it, outside of, like I said, maybe the tail end of his career. So it's interesting. Yeah. And also to bring it back to Peyton and Brady, it's sickening. It's I. It is sickening to see any sort of reference as uh, with Peyton Manning in a Broncos uniform. Look, I will uh, say if, this: that second win in the AFC <sighs> Championship game that that was the defense. I mean, Peyton was along for the ride on that one. He, and the Super Bowl, I, I love and Peyton. The Super Bowl. This is, I mean, that's all the defense. And it, mm-hmm. and you see him like PFF put up a graphic yesterday when Tom Brady retired, and they had Tom Brady. You know, some like the you know, basically. Uh, Outside of Rodgers, like basically an era and to Philip Rivers, Big Ben. They put Philip Rivers, no problem, in a Chargers uniform, even though he didn't finish with the Chargers. But you have Tom Brady in a Buccaneers uniform. And, of course, Peyton Manning in a, in a, in a Broncos uniform. George, it's sickening. I, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll real secret here. Because a lot of my friends know I'm a big Peyton Manning fan, and they always try to needle me in terms of, you know, oh, Peyton's a true Bronco, blah, 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 blah. Any time didn't. I will say, it does bother me. It, it bothers me. I, I will fully admit I'm not afraid to say, like, anytime, whether it was the – Hall of Fame announcement, and it's happening in Denver, whether you see him at Broncos games because he lives in Denver now. It does eat at me. It does bother me that now he is nationally, not not more associated with the Broncos than the Colts, but you see him more with the Broncos and have that kind of affiliation they do with the Colts. It, it does. It's it's frustrating. I wonder, too, like what what's Brady's legacy in Tampa going to be? He won a Super Bowl there, and they were the first team to do it on their home field. Um, you know, and then the second year was pretty good too. And they, they made a deep playoff run, uh, and got beat by the Super Bowl champs. Then this year didn't really go the way anyone wanted it to go, but it'll be interesting to see, is he going to be considered one of the all-time bucks? It's not like they have, you know, centuries of, of, of history there. They were perpetual losers outside of Oh two. And like, I think a year or two after that, they were kind of in the mix, but I mean, the end of John Gruden's era in Tampa was awful. They just, it was not good. So it's like, I think. It's crazy to say. I think so. I think Tom Brady is going to go down as the best quarterback in two different franchise histories. And it's just ironic that one was he was there for 20 years. Makes sense. The other, he was there for three. Oh, I got to look it up. I think he's like the all-time leader in passing touchdowns. Maybe. I think I, I don't I think I got that right. He has like some That's sort of Bucks record, I believe, which I just goes to show you like I said, the, the futility that that team has had for. for well, who's his biggest competition? Like when we talk about the Manning thing. Elway's still arguably more popular. Elway's still, you know, he's he's certainly got the record books out there. Right. But who's Brady's competition in Tampa? Brad Johnson? Brad Johnson. I mean, I'm sure um, I'm blanking on a former Colts back of quarterback that came out of Kansas State. I'm blanking on his name now. Ja, Josh. Uh, oh, Josh, Josh Freeman. Freeman. Josh Freeman. His numbers yeah. are probably better because they threw the ball more. I mean, Jameis Winston was there for five years. He threw a ton of touchdowns, also a ton of picks. So it's like, yeah. I married the competition. I don't know. Like, Brad Johnson was, was there solid, for a hot minute. Doug oh, Williams my. was there for a hot minute. Doug they got a lot of Super Bowl winners that came through the doors, but not not necessarily there. Yeah, that is that is fun. Oh, yeah. Put him in the ring of honor. I mean, they put Bruce Aarons in the ring of honor for being there for 
five years of winning one Super Bowl. So Tom Brady's got to go. That's going to be – I care for that ceremony. That will br- As someone who gets annoyed with all the, the Peyton Broncos talk, that will bring me a lot of joy seeing Tom Brady <laughs> on the field in Tampa with number 12 retired uh, in, the, uh, in the ring of honor. That is, that is for sure. All right, George. Well – like I said, six weeks of winter upcoming here on Groundhog Day. Six more weeks probably of the Colts head coaching search. They are down to eight candidates in round number two. We thought maybe we'd have an emergency pod coming today, tomorrow, Saturday with the, with the announcement of the Colts head coach. But it seems with the third round of interviews, we will be here uh, for a long time, George. So buckle up. Don't feel like we're going to, you know, we're not in the fast lane. Not as for sure when it comes to uh, comes to figuring out this Colts head coaching search. So I'm sure by the time we, we talk to you next on Monday, We'll still be talking about, hopefully at that point, three or four candidates. Like if we can nope. have our next pod recorded, we at least have a final, a real finalist list. Progress. Progress. At this oh, point. Absolutely. I think, you know, we need a Snickers sponsorship at this point, right? We, we need a giveaway or something. Uh, no <laughs> one here is going anywhere for a while. There's no question. So we'll see. Maybe Chris Ballard needs a Snickers because it seems like, you know, he makes poor decisions or can't think clearly when he's hungry. So someone get him some Snickers. Someone get his brain going here, and we'll see if we can get a, a decision made relatively. And the emphasis on relatively quickly here with how slow this is, uh, this is played out as we're going on almost a month as the Colts do uh, search the next head coach. So enjoy the weekend. Uh, safe to say, George, you will not be watching the flag football Pro Bowl as Tyler Huntley leads the way. You know, it's interesting. I didn't think I could be less interested in the Pro Bowl, and I didn't give the NFL credit. They, they did it. <laughs> I care less about it now than I used to, and I didn't care about it then. So it's it's entered the negative zone. That I agree. I mean, flag football is unwatchable enough. Now Tyler Huntley and his two touchdown passes this season is going to be participating. Yeah. I thought Mac Jones last year was bad. You talking about the worst that. player? Of course, Baltimore's going to trade Lamar Jackson. His backup's a Pro Bowler. <laughs> That's true. Right? You can't put a Pro Bowl. Has anyone been a Pro Bowl in the bench next year? I don't think so. I, unofficially, I'm going to say no. So you're right. Like, there it is. <laughs> You heard it here, folks. We are breaking, as a Colts pod, we're breaking Ravens news. Lamar Jackson will be traded because Tyler Huntley, Pro Bowler, deserves to start week number one next year. Holy cow. That is. <laughs> so, yeah, enjoy your weekend doing anything but watching the Pro Bowl games. We'll talk to you Monday right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.